Baron Psalms. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of Baron the week. Psalms. Baron Wednesday. Psalms. Cheers to the king. That's all right. You got Soon. water over there. Uh, I'm drinking my coffee first. Some Baptist things just don't leave too quick, huh? Today <laughs> is going to be a wonderful show. Even though Pastor Toby left us to go spend time with his family, we'll forgive him. But we have Pastor Jared Longshore yes, sir. in for such a show. You have no idea what's going on today, do you? He doesn't. Nope, I just no. showed up, but I'm excited to see. Yeah, but before we get to the show... A little warning. This show is going to be graphic if you are watching it, so you might want to move the little ones into a different room or hit pause and then come back while Gabe reads this ad. If you are a Christian intergalacticist, right? Uh, intergalacticist? So intergalacticist, mm-hmm. right? Okay, okay you know, sure. a, a, a global, you know, want to see Jesus... Over the globe, right? Over everything. Over the, or the galaxy. planets, the galaxy, all that stuff. That too. You must have a Fight, Laugh, Feast club membership. They go together, believe it or not. By joining the Fight, Laugh, Feast army, you know, this global intergalactic army, not only will you be aiding in our fight to take down secular and legacy media like The Blaze, like The Daily Wire, like Fox, but you'll also get access to content placed in our club portal, such as past shows, all of our conference talks, exclusive content. We're actually going to be live streaming our conference yes, right. and the club portal, so club yeah. club members and get Jared's live streaming. And going to be there at the conference. Yes. We'll lastly, you'll get discounts at our conference. So if you want you know, 10 bucks a month, kick over our way. You can sign up at fightlaughfeast.com and sign up. I don't like kick. How about plant over our way? Okay. I like that a lot better. Slavery's detestable, right? I mean, you know. Absolutely. Abortion's murder, right? Absolutely. Okay, Ugh. yeah, right. Uh, then what is this? A child will often know that they are transgender from the moment that they have any ability to express themselves, and parents will often tell us this. We have parents who tell us that their kids, they knew from the minute they were born practically, and actions like refusing to get a haircut or standing to urinate, trying to stand to urinate, refusing to stand to urinate, trying on siblings' clothing, uh, playing with the, quote, opposite gender toys, things like that. There is more and more a group of adolescents that we are seeing that really are coming to the realization that they might be trans or gender diverse a little bit later on in their life. So what we're seeing from them is that they always sort of knew something was maybe off and didn't have the understanding to know that they might be trans or have a different gender identity than the one they had been assigned. So that is a, a growing population that they are that we are seeing and that's being recognized as being trans and able to be treated. Uh Mm. That's the the children. Boston house. Children's Hospital. Mm. That's incredible. The uh, other religion they, seems to know what to do with children. No, oh. exactly. <laughs> oh. we'll, we'll get there. Has so oh. Boston Children's Hospital Jerry. has doctors that are breaking their Hippocratic oath to do no harm, doing the most devastating harm that can be done to the most innocent of humanity, and then they go on to talk about what is a phalloplasty. A phalloplasty is a procedure to uh, basically create uh, uh, a penis or a phallus for uh, an individual who was born biological female and who seeks transition to uh, a male uh, gender. The procedure is done with plastic surgeons and urologists. The urologists manipulate the tissues in the surrounding area to lengthen the urethra. A new scrotum is created, and uh, some of the anatomical parts of uh, the female anatomy are removed. The plastic surgeons are in charge of creating a new tissue that will ultimately meet the lengthened urethra, 
and the additional tissue that's been moved to uh, create uh, the uh, neophallus. We typically utilize tissue from elsewhere. For example, the forearm or the thigh is used. The plastic surgeons are also responsible for uh, providing sensation by doing the nerve coaptation so that the new phallus will have sensation and also responsible for reestablishing the blood supply and also to shape it in a way that appears more um, physiologically and anatomically uh, like a natural one. Boston Children's Hospital. Uh, today is beer and songs, right? Because I'm going to need a lot of yeah, beer. And a and lot a of songs. A whole lot, lot of songs, yeah. So, so Matt Walsh's film, What is a Woman, exposed some of the insanity of this. He had a woman who believed the lie that she could become a man and talk about the, the fallout of believing that lie. Check this. Promoting that. Ooh. That's a phallioplasty. That's a bottom surgery. We have five children's hospitals in the United oh, States Boston telling girls that they can be boys at $70,000 a pop in a surgery that has a 67% complication rate. That will kill me from infection that I can't sue on. We're butchering a generation of children because nobody's willing to talk about anything. Um, 67%? It's 100%. Right, that's You're, right. It's a hundred percent. It's right. not even sixty-seven percent. Go to the next. I want to. This is again. This is kind of graphic. Um, the 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 sleeve the sleeve pick. Show the sleeve pick that we that we wanted to bring up. Uh, this is more of a graphic um visual of of what's going on. And 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 then just in case you wanted kind of a second witness of kind of the uh, the lips of TikTok has been hitting this issue pretty yeah, well recently. Yeah, yeah. Check this. I started Fafwasi back in March two thousand twenty. And we are in March 2022. We're not even halfway through the process. To put it lightly, the past year has been them trying to fix their F up. I have a fistula, which is an abnormal connection between my urethra and my rectum. Meaning the P-tube is pretty much going through my rectum, which is causing ongoing UTIs, urinary tract infections. My head surgery back in July is when they tried to first fix the fistula from going from above. And so that gave me an ostomy bag at age 27. Mm. At age 27, I am pooping in a bag. Went back in for another surgery to try to fix the same issue, but this time going through the rectum. Now, after that, I had two catheters put in, a Foley and an SP. And the Foley catheter is out. The SP, we're still rocking with, sadly, to this day. But... My warning is that as much as we want to think our transition is about the physicality and making sure that we look the part, there's so much more than be to being a man or a woman than how we appear. And I wish I knew that back before I had the surgery because I feel like now like I'm living with these issues. There's more cons than pros, in my honest opinion, because it's kind of like, yeah, like it's cool to look down and see, a, you know, but it's just the fact that two years later, I still don't have full feeling. I'll go in for an exam or do a testing, and they're like, oh, we're going to grab the phallus, we're going to do this, that, and forth. And despite them telling me they're going to do it, more than half the time, I don't feel them touching down there. That's and a problem. to me, it's a concern because if I can't fully feel when someone touches me, I'm not going to get anything out of it. At all. That's enough. That's enough. I gotta I gotta say yeah. this real quick because I, I don't want anybody to miss this. Um 
you have a children's hospital mm-hmm. who is now, and this is this is not. If you watch, if you need to go follow libs of TikTok because that's one of the only places that's going to really expose a lot of this. You have them pushing. The liberals and the left are pushing. Children can make these decisions for themselves. They're yep. young enough to know. Parents right. are in the way of children being who it is they want to be. Yep. And we forget that we didn't just get here out of nowhere. That's right. We got here over a, a long journey of just inching a little further and further down this road. And it started with Mm -hmm. abortion and Obergefell. Mm -hmm. Those two things. Obergefell is a fallout of abortion also ultimately. But they redefined. We had Jeff Schaefer on the show and he made this so clear about how the lead up to Roe v. Wade was redefining the idea of manhood and womanhood and motherhood. And I just want us to go back and listen to this again because when you do that... And particularly the church needs to... Get this. That's what Jeff I'm, is talking about? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He's talking legally, but this needs to get to the church. What else does that Obergefell decision destroy? It's revolutionary character. It's profundity rests in the fact that it destroyed an institution that holds in place human nature. Marriage. Marriage. Male and female matter for public purposes more than anywhere else, perhaps, in the family, in the marital relationship. If they cannot matter there, they can't matter anywhere. Remember what's going on in Roe is not just the ratification of legal killing of innocence. Right. It's saying something about the nature of the maternal relationship itself. That's right. It's repudiating the idea that there is a pre-existing relationship with duties and responsibilities associated with it. It's saying there is no such thing as motherhood. Right. It doesn't exist as part of the created order. Motherhood is something you select. It's a contractual sort of arrangement. It's it's that assumption of liberty being your freedom to choose to be whatever you want to be. And if you don't want to be a mother, then then you can kill your baby. So the question then becomes, if there is no such thing as motherhood in reality, what does the state have to honor? That's profound stuff. And so this this is a conversation that um, if you listen to Knox Unplug, I've been having with Jason Farley um, for a long time. And I, I'm not to, trying to pitch my own show. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, but you need to be listening. To, it, it is one of the yeah. but I, I, one of the things that I've noticed is everybody's a lot of people are doing a good job of observing the reality of the situation that transhumanism is bad. Uh, we uh, this is going to destroy humanity. I, I think that's. Some people are doing that really good. What is a woman exposed mm-hmm. a lot, but it didn't really have answers for the problem. And the only answer to come to fix is going to have to come from the church. That's right. And so I wanted to bring in Jason Farley. He's here with us. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Jason, can Christianity in its current state that it's in, can it deal with the problems that we see coming with transhumanism? It can't because we caused them. How did we cause them? This is just the modern individualistic uh, Christianity that says, let kids grow up a little bit and then they'll choose their identity. This is just that in a materialistic setting. This is our understanding of children taken to its extreme in a materialist setting. You got, you got to walk that out a little more for me because I don't, I don't, that doesn't, that's okay. That, that, (laughs) It kind of flies in the face of like, well, hold on. I am always. I believe male, female. Right. I believe male, female. I I don't believe in transhumanism. I'm not trans in any way. Um, I'm discipling my kids in the way. I don't see what the problem is here. Right. But most of the American church says to their kids, 
you get to choose your identity once you hit a particular age of accountability. And we end up debating about the age of accountability of when they can come forward and get baptized rather than saying to them, hey, let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you who God says you are. Let me tell you who Jesus says you are. You don't get to pick your identity. You can act against it, but you don't get to choose it. This is like Carl Truman's uh, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Gone yep. Mad. So, I mean, he, he talks in there about modern people think of themselves primarily as individuals that have the right and responsibility to express themselves. Uh, that's the fundamental thing about humanity and all of that uh, craziness that you guys just played on the screens is a particular application of that notion of the self, of that anthropology. It's a pagan anthropology, and that's the ethical outworking of the pagan anthropology. And probably what Jason's saying is that um, there's large swaths of the American evangelical church that have thought the same way about the self. Um, he actually talks in there about the difference between um, the, the older way of viewing institution was was that the institution existed to form and shape us. But now with this individual expression idea, we've turned institutions into platforms upon which we express ourselves. And really, we've, we've done that kind of with the sacraments. Uh, we've done that with our core. It all exists to serve me. Yeah, uh, it, it all exists. It's all a chance for me to kind of yeah. express who I am. We've done that with our corporate worship. Uh, we've kind of yeah. We've done that. Think with all think sorts of, of the definition that you've heard of baptism most of your life, right? It's an outward sign of an inward truth. It's a way that I stand up and say to the world, "I'm a Christian now," right? That is a new modernist understanding of our selfhood that mm. we that we're coming into the world and the, the world said hey i can i can i can run with that definition of selfhood and they've been running down this road a long ways and now because of the paganism getting to the point where you need a phallic symbol to uh <laughs> latch on to you know that mm. the the um the for your identity mm -hmm. right this is what we run into but the reality is this is just American Baptist theology secularized. If I could, you know, there's another issue too. So you might, you have the individualism thing that you're talking about, but you also have a whole bunch of people that know better. So there, there's a long, right. there's a long standing reform tradition. I'm talking about Presbyterians in, now. In, <laughs> go ahead. Let's, let's beat them all up. There's a long standing reform tradition in America that actually knows better. Uh, so they know about this paganism and they're aware of it. But this is like Lewis. Everybody needs to go read Lewis's That Hideous Strength because the, the videos you just played here, here. <laughs> are all about that, right? So you have um, at, at the end, it, it's a, it ties into Abolition of Man where Lewis says the head rules the belly through the chest. So the head is the intellect. Uh, the chest is um, kind of the seed of emotions that are trained into stable sentiments. So mm -hmm. uh, courage, devotion, loyalty, that thing that's going to keep you in the battle when mm -hmm. the battle's getting really hot, that's the chest. The belly is just your appetites, uh, mm -hmm. desire for money and sex and that kind of thing. Okay. And he says the head rules the belly through the chest, and the head rules the world through the chest. Dominion happens through the chest. Yeah. So there's these people that had the intellect but they just didn't have the chest. chest. They don't mm. have the chest to deal with this. Right. So their mind, they, and what happens is if you don't exercise the chest, one, you have this chaos happen. This so is the Republican Party. We need to call, we need to call 911 mm -hmm. on this mm -hmm. guy that's yep. mutilating children, mm -hmm. by the way. 
So we don't if if you don't have the chest, not only does this bad stuff happen, but then you end up um, you're not being faithful, and you're you yourself stop being a Christian. This is this is where apostasy comes from, because if you're not going to fight the good fight, if you're not going to contend for the faith by actually doing something about the rise of paganism all around us, mm-hmm. and it's just going to be something in your intellect. Well, uh, you're done. So, so we we have to develop a chest. I'm sorry, Jason. Were you going to jump in there? I don't want to interrupt you. No, go for it. So here's something that I, right now, I think that there is, if you look at the conservative movement, you can look at the conservative party Republicans, everybody is saying, oh my goodness, we need to pass laws so that we can um, make this go away. Mm-hmm. We need to pass laws to be able to protect. Ron DeSantis trying to do right, right, Florida right and, now. And, and, no, no mutilation, gender right, mutilation right. And, surgeries. And so I, I think that, okay, like I'm not mad at that, but I don't think that that's, it's kind of like, hey, let's get some pimple remover, and let's just like try and get rid of the pimple. Yeah. But that's not anything that's really going to fix the problem. that's in the bloodstream. That is what politicians are for, though. They need to destroy the pimple. That would be great. Yeah, that it, they need to send. They need to. Yeah. They need to go throw that man in prison. Yeah, but yeah. I think though, the, part, but you're right. It's not I, I, the heart. No, no, no. We haven't I, dealt I, with the root of this. I am matter. totally fine with them taking and exercising justice for those who are breaking. God's law and destroying God's creation. Yeah, that's totally the vestiges that. of Christendom yeah. that somebody, that a politician would say, hey, that's bad and I'm going to stop it. But what I mean is that we have this Machiavellian attitude that if we all just put our power there, that'll solve all of it. But there's actually two other governments that need to deal with the bloodstream of what's happening in that's the system right. that's mm-hmm. given the civil magistrate such a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah. I, 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 go ahead, Jason. And that's the, the formation that that uh, pastor longshore is talking about that is something that the government isn't in charge of right the formation of people of men with chests that's the job of the family and the church and um, what we run off and do is say we got to get a law passed really quick forgetting that the law is going to inflame the sin if we don't deal with the fact that uh, we're we're a nation of men without chests right the the law doesn't solve this problem um but it's not that there's not a solution and i think that's what often we do um we've got families and churches whose job is to make and form people and the the uh you know the government is trying to take over those roles or we've handed those roles over because of our bad understanding of children mm-hmm. our bad understanding of that's right. Uh, the individual um, versus, you know, the well, and because we're not covenantal anymore, we don't we don't see the covenants that God has used to make the world. But it's now, it's interesting because I, I'm, I'm gonna because you got to do yeah, yeah, okay, songs, right, so I'm gonna right, let you right, do okay, that. But okay. Jason, you got time to stick around for a little bit so we can yeah. talk a little more about this yep. because I want to yeah. talk about. I think there's a group of people that think that's what they're doing. They are mm-hmm. doing family worship. They are trying their very best. They are. Seeking to honor God with how they're raising their kids in every way, and and saying, like we're covenantal, we're bad, but we're covenantal, <laughs> right? Um, and so I want to talk to how do we solve the problem with not just trying to fix the the pimple, right? How do we right. actually get to the root of it? And Pastor Jared's over here smiling. I know he's excited about that too. <laughs> so if you get a chance to stick around, I, I want to talk about that in the pay uh, in the backstage with Cross Politic. All right, so all right, let's do it today. Beer and songs. Pastor Toby's not here. Pastor Jerry decided to hand that responsibility over to Gabe to Deacon Wrench. And so now Deacon Wrench, Psalm Deacon, forty. Get yeah. your Bibles open to Psalm forty. But first, we love books. 
We love books here on Cross Politics. Yes, and we're we do. so excited that Reformation Heritage Books, RHB, is a publisher and bookseller who's who's sponsoring our show and whose mission is to equip the saints to serve Christ. And they actually sent us a little uh, a little Is that for me? Uh, yeah, oh uh, unboxing here. Unbox Heritage Books sponsors God. Yeah. Wow, this is I know. There's hope for the world. You didn't get one of these. There's hope for the world. You can take Pastor Toby since he left us, though. No, oh. no, no, no. That, oh, that'd be rude. That'd be rude. Oh, look, look what's on the top. And, you got some Joe Beaky. And so I know. And and so the bookseller whose mission is to equip the saints to serve Christ and his church through biblical, experiential, and practical resources. <laughs> RHB's <laughs> reading material is God glorifying in accordance with scriptures and historic reformed creeds for the promotion on defense, promotion and defense of oh, the gospel yeah. of Lord Jesus Christ. Each book we publish or sell, I love this. This is this is total Puritan. Each book we publish or sell, whether from the Puritans or modern-day authors, subscribes to the three forms of unity, the Belgian Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Canons of Dort, and the Westminster Standards. Those brothers Find back out there wouldn't be putting up with that stuff. They wouldn't be putting up with mutilating children. Heritagebooks.org. They sent us uh, you gotta, Reform Systematics by Beaky. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Yeah? You, on the top. It's so I great. Know, on, know, the top, on the top, Family Worship Bible Guide. Bam. I've had this box. They've sent us this box for like a week and a half now. I've been wanting to open that, um, but I wanted that to open it up on the show so for everybody. Dope. So I haven't even taken it home yet. Family Worship Bible Guide, The World Conquered by Faithful Christians. And I'm excited about this one. Um, that following God Fully, an introduction to the Puritans. A nice That's what you're talking about. They wouldn't be tolerating them. Wouldn't, they wouldn't tolerate this. Right. Child None of this stuff. Have you opened up your Bible to Psalm 40? Mm. Get it now. Where's, where's my music? I got your music coming. You got it coming. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but I'm going to read the la- the first two verses and the last two verses of Psalm 40. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. He heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. Verse 16, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Mm, cheers to the king. Cheers to the king. Psalm mm. 40. The, the world has catechized the church on what it means to be needy, to be vulnerable, to be poor. But our definitions come from God, from his word. The antithesis, the antithesis, the antithesis in Scripture is between is always between righteousness and unrighteousness. Those who are in Christ and those who hate Christ. Not between the rich and the poor, the popular, the unpopular, and so forth. Now, while those categories can be included in what it means to be poor and needy, it's always clothed in the context of our God who is holy. In the psalm, in this psalm, David continually puts himself in the category of poor and needy. The king of Israel, poor and needy? How could this be? This is because to be truly poor, to be truly needy, is for you to understand that you need the salvation of the Lord. You are that person in the horrible pit. You are the needy who needs to be brought out of the miry clay. And you need Jesus to put your feet upon the rock, which is Jesus. David understood that his salvation was not of works which is why David waited patiently on the Lord and cried out to God for deliverance. 
And when you wait on God and not on man for deliverance, God will always deliver you. It might not be your timing or your way, but in God's timing and in his way, it'll always be God's salvation. When we wait for the Lord, we are trusting in the Lord. And when we trust in the Lord, he will act. Now, as we have seen today, that innumerable evil evils are all around us. Iniquities have overtaken our land, that comes from the psalm, and that our nation cannot even refuse to look up to God. We are a shameful people. Do we want the evils to be driven back out of our land? Do we want the wicked to be confounded? Verse 6, David says, Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. So, what can we do then? How do we get rid of all this wickedness in our lands and in our hearts and in this world? If God does not want us to act and to offer up, then what do we do? Well, the answer is to wait. Notice in this psalm, David's role. David waits patiently for the Lord. David cries out. God put a new song in David's mouth in order to do what? To praise God. David makes the Lord his trust. David wants to declare and speak God's wonderful works. David delights to do God's will. Finally, David loves God's salvation so much that he says continually, the Lord be magnified. These are all, the, all acts of worship. And as we worship, we are waiting on God to act. Our worship is a call to God to deliver us, to act in this world, to save us. And God in his loving kindness will deliver only the poor and needy. So we want the world to change. Worship God and wait on him to act. Psalm 40. Sorry, there's a little delay. I just thought. Mm. Uh, we poor and definitely needy and definitely need God. Right. You got your Bible open. What you about to preach something to? I was just you got along. 30, he 40, 60 seconds. Okay. You, Deacon, you Deacon said to open the Bible, so said, I did. <laughs> <laughs> did he do all right? That was great. Mm. Cheers to the king. Cheers to the king. Mm. May God transform our land, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Jason, you're going to hang around with us for a little bit? You got it. Maybe we can talk Psalm 11 a little bit. What were you going to say about Psalm 11? Oh. Oh, you know, wh- uh, wh- if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Oh. If the you foundations are, are <laughs> evidently destroyed <laughs> from you what they are just put not us through. A Fight, Laugh, Feast club member, you are going to miss out on a phenomenal conversation. Go ahead and join the club, fightlaughfeast.com. Join the club and get some of these conversations that happen backstage. We're going to try and work out what we need to be doing because the problem isn't the culture it's the cult behind the culture and we're going to ask god to give revival to that cult the christian church so if you're single get married if you're married have you some kids and if you have kids go baptize them until tomorrow love god with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself go fight laugh and feast this is cross politic Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations, the world's largest classical Christian homeschooling community. I'm launching a new podcast, Refining Rhetoric. If you like cross-politics or just listen to hear what crazy stuff they're saying today, you will enjoy Refining Rhetoric. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform. I practice the 15 tools of learning by interviewing great guests, looking at current events, and talking about cryptocurrency. The season of Augustine and the season of Cassiodorus were very different moments in a crucial transformation that occurred in the history of the Western liberal arts. All right, so just stay like this. How how am I doing here? 
So, yeah, you don't like you don't like this, huh? What does a Christian education look like when non-Christians are the ones who control the institutions of learning? This is a question that confronted Bishop Augustine of Hippo in North Africa in the fifth century AD. Augustine lived at the twilight of the Roman Empire. He himself had been trained with the best learning that Rome at that time had to offer. He himself actually came through the ranks and taught rhetoric in some of the best schools. And it was then after he had come of age that he converted to Christianity but he wanted to continue the project of education, but this time for Christians. And so he had to confront the question, what does a Christian education look like when the unbelievers control the field, when they control the institutions, when the whole ap apparatus and curriculum of learning emerge from a pagan environment? And so Augustine wondered, what is it that Christians should jettison? What is it that Christians can embrace? What is it that Christians can adopt, but in modified form? These are the questions that Augustine confronted when he sought to educate Christians in an environment when unbelievers dominated the field. A century later, we see a man in the south of Italy named Cassiodorus who faced a very different educational landscape. He had to ask what did a Christian education look like in an environment where unbelievers had abandoned the project of education altogether. The in infrastructure of learning had entirely eroded. If education was to proceed at all, it had to proceed on the foundation of Christianity. The Christians had to be the ones preserving education. What does a Christian education look like when Christians are the ones forming the institutions, when Christians are the ones organizing the curriculum? Well, these two seasons in the history of education, the season of Augustine and the season of Cassiodorus, just 100 years apart, were very different moments in a crucial transformation that occurred in the history of the Western liberal arts. We're gonna be studying this story. We're going to be going back to the sources. We're going to go back to Augustine. We're gonna go back to Cassiodorus. We're gonna ask ourselves, which of their predicaments most resembles our own? Which can we learn from Augustine's period? What can we learn from Cassiodorus's period? As we confront these questions, we're gonna engage these sources, and we invite you to join us here at New St. Andrews College.